Elizabeth Gilbert once said, Deep grief sometimes is almost like a specific location, a coordinate on a map of time. When you're standing in that forest of sorrow, you cannot imagine that you could ever find your way to a better place. But if someone can assure you that they themselves have stood in that same place and now have moved on, sometimes this will bring hope. Welcome back, heart friends. Elizabeth Gilbert's saying is so relevant to these podcasts. It's actually the reason I'm doing them, because if I can help one person find the hope, because they know that I've been where they've been and I've healed from it, then this is all worth it. And if you're a griever following this, please take some of my ideas and take the ones you want and leave the rest as you build your personal journey. And if you're a witness, remember these two things, as the Grief Recovery Institute talks about, have a big heart and two ears so that you're feeling and listening. And secondly, when I release pain and suffering, you don't take it on. Just watch it disintegrate from me. It doesn't have to be taken on. Okay. So when I was young, I started to experience losses and I didn't have particularly good skills in dealing with loss. So when my grandfather died and a neighbor friend got hit by a truck, I changed schools, I got bullied, we moved, lots of losses, and I started a small can of worms. When I became an adult, I had no childhood trauma to deal with, but I had a small can of worms. And I added to that with losses along the way. I got married, had two children, and we had losses happen in, in that phase. Uh, but September 1998, my first wife, Mary Helen died. Now, I immediately landed on the isolated grief island. I didn't understand that's where I was, but I was there in what I've been calling macro grief, really deep grief with big emotions lasting a long time. And I was actually two months there. And it was like the Pink Floyd song, Time. I was waiting for someone or something to show me the way. And the someone was Hospice Peterborough. And the something was, in this case, their grief recovery workshops, where I shared my story and my grief with other people. And in that collective, I learned how to release the pain and suffering while remembering the loved one. And it started me down my grief river. I didn't understand it at the time. We talked about significant events that were coming up, but I didn't really understand that this calendar of grief triggers that was going to happen over the next period of time was a map of my pain, but more importantly, a map of my healing. So little by little, I lessened the pain in, in the heart. And if you look at the logo of Sea of Acceptance, the cracked heart starts to heal and mine started to heal until I became wholehearted again. And I started to socialize more, started to date. I got married. I met Janice and we got married. And I didn't do it as a rebound or a replacing a loss. I did it wholeheartedly, which is very different. And over those years, I had additional losses. Also, uh, about 10 years ago, 
took up mindfulness-based stress reduction, John Kabat-Zen, MBSR. And it started teaching me to be in the present moment, to be mindful, accept what is. All resilient tools. And it helped me with losses as well. And the losses did accumulate, but I knew how to deal with each loss because I'd learned 24 years ago how to lose some, somebody. And I lost four in-laws and uh, my, my mother and father died. That was very painful. Friends and family, I survived cancer in 2010. Various and sundry other losses, but none of them piled up. I didn't have the can of worms anymore because I was dealing with things closer to the present moment, building that resilience along that journey. So September 7th, 2021, 7.30 a.m., Janice announced that she had terminal cancer. What, what a tough thing. What a tough journey. Anticipatory grief started immediately and lasted for nine months. And I'll speak about myself mostly, but I had a dark cloud over me and a gnarly knot just under my surface and it never left the whole nine months. I don't have a lot of tips and techniques to how to do that type of anticipatory grief. It was just white knuckling. The only relief that Jansen I had was the mindfulness and accepting what is. And I witnessed early on that she accepted her diagnosis. That's huge. She was so brave and it inspired me. It took a couple of weeks and I got to the same place. And by accepting that allowed us to have pockets, not days or weeks, but pockets of joy. So we lived in a duality of anticipatory grief and still finding moments of joy, whether it was family, or friends, or dinners, or going for walks, or even cross-country skiing with a chemo bag still delivering the medication and finding joy and listening to the sound of the skis on the crisp cold snow, or watching the snow fall through the evergreen trees, or listen to the wind howling through the trees. Very joyous. Or riding an e-bike when your legs don't have enough energy to pedal like you normally do all pockets of joy brought to us by mindfulness in the present moment and accepting what is. But uh, when I prepared this presentation, I realized that I still need to do some work around those nine months. It's still, still raw, still very painful, and I still have to do some work there. Uh, fast forward to June 6, 2022, at 9.06 a.m., Janice was surrounded by family and friends and peacefully died. For me, I was back on the isolated grief island. Same island, I recognize it, the trees were taller, but there I was in a deep dark hole with pain and suffering. And I recognized it. 
And for some reason, my mind, body, and soul knew what to do. And we know why, because it learned how to lose significant people 24 years ago. And I don't compare losses, but I was in the same very, very deep, dark place with pain and suffering, but the suffering didn't last as long. For some reason, it didn't need to. I got the benefits. I was still maybe curled up and in, in crying a lot, but it didn't last as long. And I wasn't cutting corners or skipping steps. It just didn't need to last as long to get to the same place. And because my mind, body, and soul knew what to do, I chose to take a second grief recovery workshop. This one I paid for online. And it was amazing. It re-sharpened the tools I needed to follow the grief river. During that early phase was the casserole phase. 24 years ago when the casserole showed up, I had to leave that isolated place where I was. And I stayed in there and I didn't let anyone in. That's why I was so stuck because nothing was changing because I had no outside influence. I'd go to the door, get the casserole, I'd say something, don't remember what I said, throw the casserole in the fridge. I didn't care. It hurt me. And I rushed back to my cocoon in inside of my bedroom, shut the door, shut the world out. This time, when a casserole showed up, I answered the door. I might have been grieving in the moment. I might not have been. It is what it is. And when I received the casserole, I could see extra ingredients in it. There were noodles. There was protein. There was sauce. But there was love and caring. And I accepted that as somebody checking in with me and they use their finite resource of time to make a meal for me, to honor me and to honor what I was going through. Very different experience. So now I'd like to focus on triggers, a very important element in the feel it to heal it movement, recognizing them and having some strategies and ideas to deal with the each type of trigger. Now I mentioned macro, and that hit me 24 years ago, very deeply. Curled up in a ball, crying a lot, uncontrollable. And when I'm in a macro grief, I try not to manage it or stop it or slow it down or bring it to an end before it's ready. So I would just keep in the emotion as long as it needed me to be in it. And you know, when you're finished a deep crying, you go, that's usually a sign that you've done that episode. Now, I did that off and on for two months, 24 years ago. Now, last year, I went into just as deep of a macro grief, but I, as I say, it didn't last as long. For whatever reason, my mind, body, and soul didn't need it to last as long. But it was deep. And 14 months later, I still get the odd macro grief, but I recognize it and accept it for what it is, and I, and I get comfortable with it and let it take its course. So for me, it diminished how often it happened over time. Now, I'm going to call the next one a medium grief, just I don't have a better name for it, but this is where I may have been triggered by something. I f deal with the initial, but there's like a cloud hanging over me. It could be like the two weeks around a Christmas or the week around a, a important date so that I'm not, not in deep grief through the whole thing, but I have a bit of a cloud and I'm just walking around less than a hundred percent. 
And again, you just observe it and all of a sudden the blue sky shows up again. This too shall pass. I always keep that in mind. The impermanence. The impermanence of happy times, but just as equally the impermanence of sad times or the impermanence of grieving. Right? It's not a life sentence. right? So then I have the triggers. These are micro. I have hundreds and hundreds. I may have a thousand. I don't know, but I, they're all over the place. And because I'm so conscious of the present moment, I recognize them. And they can come and go quickly, or they could take 10 seconds or 30 seconds. But there's no big cloud with them. There's no, there's no micro stuff. It just hits you. You deal with it. And you move on. It's a bit of a matter-of-fact thing. So, for instance, the senses. You know, I could see something that triggers me. I could hear something. I could feel something. I could touch something. I could taste something. I could read something. The other day, in the mail came the renewal for my auto association. And it was a renewal for Janice and David. Boom! Micro-trigger. And then I had to call and get it in my name only. But I dealt with that trigger. And micro-triggers happen all the time. I remember, I think I might have told you about the large flake oats. Last year, I'm going to the grocery store. I get to the cereal aisle and I start tearing up. I go, what the heck? And I realize there's the large flake oats. And we cycle toward 25,000 kilometers around the world. And most mornings, we ate large flake oats. So I was triggered by the package of oats. And I was in the grocery store, and I don't mind crying in public. It's, it's something I'm used to now. But I decided, I'll, I'll deal with this in a few minutes. I didn't bury it. I just set it aside, got through the till, got outside. And then here's how I would do a typical uh, trigger. is It's a reverse body scan from head to toe. And for me, I follow the seven chakras. But I'll just do it as a scan. So I started my head and my mouth and this is the brain work and i think yeah we had some great breakfast with those oats and then my mouth can kind of say quietly or whatever yeah and i'll never have another breakfast of oats with her ever again hard to do but it's a release right so that's kind of the brain work and then i get down to the more important work is the heart work there i am in my heart and i go i feel sad and now I know why I'm sad, because I feel all the joy I used to feel on those tours with, those, with that large flake oats. And it's never going to happen again. And I have to get okay with that. Because you remember, our heart generates love. We send it out to our loved one. It's back and forth. And all of a sudden, when they die, our heart generates a love. It hits the wall of our body, and it says, what do I do? I can't deliver this. So to protect us, it turns it into grief and parks it all over the place. A bit in the brain, a lot in the heart. And for me, it would always sit in my gut. That's where my can of worms used to be, in my gut. So here I am in the heart. And I know that grief is just love with nowhere to go. So I celebrate the, the love that I felt for that. And I try to release the pain and suffering around it. And I watch it flow to my stomach. And I don't stop there. I don't want a gnarly knot. I want to just release it and let it go and follow that grief all the way down my legs and out my toe. And maybe once is enough to do that scan. Maybe I have to do it twice. If I do it twice 
and the grief is still there, then I bump it up to a medium thing. I think, well, it's not ready. And it's okay. It'll tell you when you're done. Because sometimes you invite grief into your present moment. As they say, you invite it for tea. You see, feel, hear, touch it. You ask it questions. It asks questions of you. And you get comfortable with recognizing it, doing it, releasing it. Right? There's no can of worms anymore. It hits you, you process it. Right? If it takes a minute or it takes a week, you're in this for the long haul. Right? So they're kind of incidental triggers. Um, oh, yeah, I got one by email too. BAMP Film Festival announces online campaign for you to watch their films. Well, Janice and I used to watch them all the time. It was key to our joy in January, February, March. And it came to me unannounced and boom, it was a trigger. Deal with it. Boom. It's not in my stomach anymore. And that's what dealing with things in the present moment does for you. Now let's talk about calendar triggers. So calendar triggers are the birthdays, the anniversaries, the one-year, two-year uh, date of death, the significant, you know, when a diagnosis was made, so on and so forth. Whatever triggers you have. Uh, your, maybe you have a Labor Day weekend tradition. You always did. That's a trigger then. Labor Day is a trigger. So I am listened to Seneca who said, try not to be miserable about future misery. So I invented the Feel It to Heal It calendar. So at the start of my year, I filled in all the dates I knew, all the dates I knew where I could have grief triggers based on the date. And I didn't hang it on the wall. I put the calendar in a drawer. And the first of every month, I pull it out and I see what grief triggers I, I need to be aware of that month. So I didn't have to, like I did 24 years ago, fear Christmas every day from September to December 25th. And I burnt energy I didn't have. And the staring into the abyss of the unknown future was shutting me down. Last year, using the calendar, I freed up some of that energy for my present moment stuff so I could deal with the stuff that was coming right here, right now. It didn't mean I didn't think about Christmas in October, but I thought of it less often. And when I did, I would flush it through my, my body scan. But, you know, and it can only take 10 seconds to do that body scan. And then I moved on. So you can see nothing gets stuck in this process. It's a, this is a way of dealing with that. Now, last Christmas, I also did something. I looked at my calendar in October and I moved a couple of things that weren't pertinent to that two week window of the celebration. And it allowed me to have room for the doing things. But more importantly, there were gaps in there to allow me time for being. Because I knew Christmas would be sweet and it would be sour. It was actually more sour than I thought it would be. But it didn't matter because I had room in there, right, to feel it, to heal it. I had room in there to not bury away things that hit. Now, maybe I had to move it a half hour or a half day till I got through a, a, you know, a celebration or something. But I didn't do the sixth myth. I didn't just stay busy. I had space in there and it was vital. It was vital. So the other thing I did last year is I amped up my daily affirmations and I created 
the feel it to heal it affirmation list. And a lot of things on that list I've been doing for many years, but I added into it some grief recovery affirmations. And it is in episode seven in great detail, but every day in the beginning, I would do that to help my brain work. It was more for the brain than the heart, a bit of heart work in it, but mostly it was helping my brain reprogram things, which is an important thing to have to do. Now, this past weekend was a two year anniversary of my loved one finding out she had terminal cancer. And it was, uh, I didn't have it in my calendar because I don't do the calendar year two. If I had, I would have been more prepared for it because it hit me harder than I thought. Now that's okay. I dealt with it. You know, it was very strong emotions for the second year. So there's a lesson here that don't let your guard down in year two. Some things in year two could be harder than year one. Now this wasn't harder than year one. It just was harder than I thought it would be. So remember everyone thinks there's a lot of people out in that world. When I look out that window, there's people out there that think three months after the death, I should be well over it. Like get on with life, right? No, year two, I still have stuff happening and that's normal, right? It's, it's natural and normal and don't fight it. It is what it is. So don't lessen um, your thoughts about year two. It, it may not be disastrous, but there'll be pockets of it that might be worse than year one. It is what it is. And remember that I view myself as stuck, not broken. I don't need to be fixed, but merely need to be witnessed. So early on last year, I started to build a witness team. These were people who I shared information with, and if they were able to accept it and be comfortable with it without trying to fix me, I would share more with them. And they became my witness team. And it really made sure I never grieved alone. So even if I was in a deep, dark macro in my bedroom for an hour, I would come out and I'd talk to someone and just say what happened so that I didn't run to somebody to cry in front of them just so I didn't grieve alone. But I didn't grieve alone in theory because people always had a, a thought where I was and I didn't have to share with the same person all the time. I didn't overburden any one person. And one of my friends, John actually, uh, was keeping track of my, uh, triggers that he witnessed. And he triggered me once with a saying and he apologized. And I said, no, no, I thank you because you found something that was hiding deep down in the corner of my heart. And it was trying to stay there and, and, and not be healthy. And you helped me find it and release it. And so that's what witnessing is all about. And to me, it's vital to not grieve alone. And when you're not alone, you're not alone. It's not lone, it's lonely. And the last thing, and I covered this in episode nine, and that is I built and followed a feel it to heal it steering wheel. Now this is an actionable vision and I'll break it down paragraph by paragraph in episode nine, but it basically was like a piece of paper that I printed and I could go to when I was struggling. Maybe I was meandering off the course I wanted to go. Maybe I was avoiding things. I, I got into a, a pity party or something and I wouldn't deal with things or whatever was happening. I could always go back to that steering wheel and it would steer me in the direction that I had set for myself. 
And of course, as I built the steering wheel, I was able to change it as, as my situation changed and made it more and more robust. So I hope you would consider looking at the steering wheel as well. Maybe if you can look at my logo with the four hearts and see where your heart is today, right here, right now. And that'll kind of give you a hint how much of a journey you might have in front of you. And um, you've witnessed my grief here, and I truly hope you took on no pain from me. And if you did, scan the darn stuff out of you, because the goal here wasn't for me to hand my pain and suffering off to you. It was to teach you how to witness somebody grieving without you taking it on. Because we did no good if I release it and you picked it up. So let it go and celebrate that you're learning about present moment grieving. Again, my journey is not yours. But I hope this sparks debate within your mind, body, and soul as to when you get to that crossroad with your grief, are you going to bury it? Or are you going to feel it to heal it? Remember, all the grief work we do today pays off for all of our tomorrows. And I'd like to thank you for sitting through this most painful episode. It was painful for me to write and record, and I'm sure it's triggered some things in you. So take the time and be kind to yourself after this video and let yourself process and feel things and release them. And, and I hope this helps you to uh, jump on to the Feel It to Heal It movement and start your journey of slow spiral upward. Thank you. Thank you.